I'm glad you're here this morning. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we're so thankful that you're here. Hopefully you got a card when you came in that looks similar to this one. If you didn't, if you're a guest here with us, we've got one on your way out today. But if you'll fill this out, we've got a special gift for you today. You can stop by the table, the little kiosk on your right. As soon as you're leaving, as soon as you go, before you go out the door today, we've got a gift that we want to give you today just for worshiping with us and being a part of, uh, of our, our time together today. Um, also, if you're watching this online, this is our live stream service. So uh, if you're watching this online, uh, you can easiest way for you to let us know that you're worshiping with us for the first time is to text uh, the message East Connect to 31996. And you'll get a link from us. Fill out that link. And then somebody from our staff, whether this is your first time in line or in person, we'll follow up with you and uh, just see if there's any way that we can pray for you and minister to you in the future. Uh, we did light our candle of love today. And so just to remind you where we've been, we talked about hope um, on week one. We talked about joy week two. We talked about, I mean, peace on week two, joy on week three. And today we talk about love. And I, I hope that today's message rings, uh, rings in your ears today, and it's something that rides on over uh, to Christmas Eve, where we'll be gathering back together on Christmas Eve, uh, just for a quick service, uh, where we're going to sing some carols, we're going to talk about uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and we're going to light our fifth big mamajama candle up front, it's the official title, uh, the Christ candle. And so we'll be lighting it on, um, on Christmas Eve here at 5 o'clock, but you'll hear more about that at the very end of the service. Um, I am an unashamed fan of The Office, uh, the U.S. version. Uh, you can judge me if you want for that, but I just, the storyline hooked me. And so Kelly and I were watching it when it was first on the air. Uh, it came on NBC on Thursday nights. Um, that was before you could just watch it, like, on whenever you wanted. Um, so we were watching it on Thursday nights when we first got married. I mean, even we were dating and uh, I love the story. And so the story, I can remember watching it and just watching this story unfold, right? And I get to the end. But now the difference is, right, now I've seen season nine, episodes 22 and 23, which is the finale. And once you've seen the finale and you've seen how everything ties together perfectly, it changes the way you watch the rest of the episodes. Because, see, my, something happened during quarantine that I thought would never happen my mom and dad started watching The Office. And like, it's so, I didn't think my mom and dad's humor at all. Uh, but they've loved it. And they've really been diving into the storyline. And so every time we would sit down, every time we sat down together, I ask them, what episode y'all on? Right? Where are we at? And so they'll tell me season, whatever, episode, whatever. And what's going on there? And they're telling me, what I forgot, because I've watched it like five times through now, what I've forgotten is that the storyline is just this beautiful arc back and forth of just, uh, I can hold a mic if that's easier, guys. Y'all just bring me something. Um, It's this crazy story arc, just up and down. All the relationships are pulling, and you think this one's going to break, and this guy's written off the show, but then then he shows back up. And it's this over, my my parents are just a nervous wreck every time I talk to them, right? And I just think um, that... Man, that's, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to think about how little I think about that now. I can watch those stressful episodes that they're watching, but to me, it's not stressful because I know the end of the story. See, what I believe God has not shown me through the office, that's not what I'm saying, but God's helped me see something in my own life this week, and that is that I've done the same thing with Christmas. What I've done with, with Christmas 
is I know that Jesus came and I know that he died on the cross. And so I forget the rest of the story. Guys, there is a story arc that lasted thousands of years before Jesus ever came. And we need to recognize that. And it is an up and down storyline that when, when, it, when it finally comes, when you finally get to season nine, episode 22 and 23, you go, I didn't see that coming, right? But we all know that Jesus came on Christmas, and so it doesn't mean anything to us. What I hope to do for you today is to open your eyes to the storyline that you've been missing and the, the storyline that like is so important for us to think about at Christmas. There's a, there's a story before Luke chapter 2, right? We read Luke chapter 2 and we go, ah, Jesus was born, the shepherds came, the angels sang. There's a long story before that. So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and, and start looking at this. Um, before we read it, this is what I want you to see this morning. The love of God shown and his redemption of man is multiplied by the way he went about it. That's what I hope you see today. The love of God shown in the redemption of man is multiplied by the way he went about it. He became one of us so that he might save us. Let's read Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Now all this took place. This is the, the story of the angels coming uh, to Joseph and all these things. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Uh, the, the, the way you chose to go about redemption. Uh, God is a way that none of us would have chosen, but God, you did it and it was there was purpose behind it. And I pray that today, God, we see it. I pray, God, today that Christmas, whether never before, God, it blows our minds with what you chose to do. I'm thankful, God, uh, that you've blown my mind this week with this, and I pray that you do the same today in the reading of your word. I pray that you uh, guard it as, it as these things come out of my mouth. God, I pray that your will is done today and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As I said in my prayer, if any of us are God, with all power and all knowledge, None of us choose to bring about redemption the way he did, right? The God who had all power, had all knowledge, had all, all things, could have just snapped his hands, snapped his fingers and redeemed mankind. Instead, he chose to live among us. I hope today that you see that. This is going to be a fun ride. What I hope you see, Emmanuel, means God with us. God is with us. This was not a foreign idea to the people of God, however. If you got a note, if you got a note sheet when you came in, this is the time to pull that sucker out and start jotting down things, okay? The first point is this. Love is shown in his promise. Love is shown in his promise. There are a lot of, there are a lot of promises made to God's people throughout the Bible, but all of them... Are, are firstly rooted in one that happens in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls this man named Abraham, right? A man named Abraham who, who, who didn't even, we have no, there's no evidence in the scripture that he knew who God was. Yet God went to him, found him, and said, follow me. Go, leave your family, go to the land that I will tell you to go to. And that land was the land of Canaan. And as I've told you over and over again, I've only been here since January and we missed a few weeks, months, whatever. Um, 
But as I told you, remember that promise of Abraham had three parts. He promised him a big family, he promised him land, and he promised him that his family would be a special blessing to all the nations. And that's the promise that God made to Abraham. And listen to this. After he made it to Abraham, Abraham had a son named Isaac. And guess what he promised Isaac? A big family, land, special blessing to all the nations. Then Isaac has a kid named Jacob. Guess what God promised Jacob? Big family, land, special blessing to all the nations. Look, this is the promise that God made that sustained his people for generations, hundreds of years. This is the love that when they thought, do we know that God loves us? You know what they pointed to? The promise God made to Abraham. This was what they cling to. This is what the people of God had. They had a promise. And it was, it was a beautiful promise. It was those three things. They didn't necessarily see God's love. They didn't necessarily hear God's love. Sometimes they may not have even felt God's love, but they believed God loved them because the promise had been made. Can you imagine the faith that took for generations that all we have is this promise that God made to Paul Paul Abraham? Can you imagine that? For 215 years or so from Abraham on to, uh, to Joseph, right? Joseph is, winds up in Egypt, sold there by his family. We don't have time to get into that story. But then all God's people wind up in Egypt and generation after generation are raised in Egypt, eventually as slaves for generations. And all they have is the promise that God loves them and he will provide for them. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. If you're in Egypt as a, one of God's people, you're enslaved there. You're a third, fourth generation guy uh, or gal, right, um, as a slave. And you're hearing these stories. You've heard the stories, right? These are, I remember when my great-grandparents were alive. If you've had the blessing of knowing your great-grandparent, I knew my great-great-grandmother. She's going to be 102, praise God. It'll skip me. There ain't no way. I ain't got that long. <laughs> But, but her son and, and his wife, my great-grandparents, they would tell me these crazy stories of like one-room schoolhouses. Like, and that blew my mind because I've got 30 other kids in my room with me at school. And then there's, you know, I graduated with 110 or 115 or something. People like to be everybody in one room learning. To, like it just, it didn't even make sense to me. My, 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 my great-grandfather took his dates out in a carriage, pulled by a mule. Like, we're not talking 1800s here, okay? Like, this was my great-granddad, uh, Ardmore. That was, yeah. It was 30 years ago. That's all we had. Yes, I'm from Ardmore. We don't drive mules there, I promise. Um, thanks, Jeff. We need to check his membership. I don't know about that. I think there's something... I think there's one question we didn't ask. All right, where was I? But here's, what, here's the deal. I, I, those things didn't even seem real. Like they, did, they didn't even, I was like, this is another world. I feel like I'm in a, in a, in a, a, a novel, right? Like a mid, mid turn of the century novel. But this was my, the life my great-grandparents lived. Can you imagine being in Egypt and you're so far removed from the experience of God speaking to Paul, Paul, Abraham. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, what did I write here? It was so funny the way I wrote it. 
Um, Paul, Paul, Abraham, I'm just kidding, it wasn't funny, but uh, Granddaddy Jacob, right, when he wrestled with God and, and God broke his hip or dislocated his hip, right, like that's a story that would have been passed down and they're so far removed from Joseph being sold, uncle, great uncle Joseph being sold by his own brothers. Look, they're hearing these stories and every generation goes by and it's got to get harder and harder to trust that God loves us, amen, because we're enslaved in Egypt, but they cling to it. But they cling to this because this is all they had. The love of God is shown in his promise. And then when God sees fit to lead his people out of bondage, he chooses a man named Moses. And how does he tell Moses his plan? He begins with this. I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He reminds them of the promise that they're clinging to. He reminds them, I am the God who promised it. Now watch me fulfill it. Hold this. Watch this. I'm fixing to do it. And this is what God makes it. God makes it clear that his plan is to fulfill the promises that he's already made to the old timers that had gone before. Exodus 6, 8. It's a renewing of the promise that had already been made. And up until Moses leads the people out, They are dependent on God's promise being kept as evidence of his love. And then the book of Exodus ramps it up. What happens? Point number two, love is shown in God's presence, in his presence. God tells Moses to build something using poles and fabric. What's the word? Starts with T, rhymes with smabernacle. Tabernacle. I gave the first service a chance and they kept butchering it. So I thought I'd give you a hint. You couldn't mess up. Once they flee Egypt, God tells Moses to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle was literally a huge tent. You've been to a Fowler auction? Those huge tents. That's the best I could come up with. A huge Fowler auction tent, right? Except there's little compartments inside the auction tent. And one in one a room inside that tent that they're picking up and moving from place to place was called the holy place. And then there's a smaller room inside of that place that's called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And there is the Ark of the Covenant. There is the Ark of the Covenant where uh, that, that has two cherubim on top of, two golden cherubim on top of the lid. And between those two cherubim was what's called the mercy seat. And it is there that God's presence resides. God himself is dwelling among his people. So that goes on from Moses all the way to David. Second Samuel chapter 7, God, uh, God, Moses, I mean, uh, David. David goes to God and says, I'm going to build you a house. Man, this tent... This is made for auctions. It's not made for worship. It's not made for you, God. I want to build you a house. I'm going to build you a temple. And God says, no, no, no. Your son's going to do it. And so Solomon is raised up, and Solomon builds the temple. And guess what was in the temple? A small room called the holy place. And inside of that room, a smaller place, a smaller room called the most holy place. And there, the Ark of the Covenant with the two golden cherubim in between on the mercy seat where the presence of God dwelt. Then, 
There's a break in the timeline where God's people go into exile again in Babylon and Assyria and the temple is destroyed. Can you imagine you're, you're clinging? The, only, the, the best evidence of God's love that you can point to, you're pointing through two curtains. You're pointing through, and then in the temple, you're, point, you're pointing through two huge thick curtains. That's how we know God loves us because his presence is among us. And then the Assyrians and Babylonians come in and rip it down. (laughs) Tear the temple down. Can you imagine what that must have done to the faith of God's people? They had this promise from Abraham and now they have his presence. And then his presence is taken away. They're they're exiles. And then there's a second temple built, built. I'm giving you a whole Old Testament survey here, okay? Ezra and Nehemiah talk about this, being able to come back and rebuild what's called the second temple. And it was rebuilt in very much the same way. Guess what was in the second temple? I bet you already know, a small room called the Holy Place. And inside of that, a smaller room called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And guess what was in it? Ark of the Covenant. And on top of Leah, there were two golden cherubim that were facing each other. And in between them was the mercy seat. And on there is the presence of God. Listen to this. That stays in place till Rome is sacked in 70 AD. Jerusalem is sacked by Rome. That's what I meant. When Jerusalem is sacked in 78. Thank you. See, now you're helping, Jeff. <laughs> this was the period in which most of the New Testament, is, or a lot of the New Testament is written. It's written in this time period where they have a temple there. Some of it's written after. However, listen to this. In all of these situations, it is the high priest who is allowed into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement each year. Listen, one man, one time a year. Did you hear me? (laughs) One man, one time a year experiences the presence of God. See, you and I, we're so accustomed to the Holy Spirit of God living in us and experiencing it and just dancing around in it, that we don't take, we miss this part of Christmas. Did you know the tabernacle and the temple are part of Christmas? One man, one time per year. Can you imagine that? The Jewish culture that Jesus was born into, they have the Old Testament scriptures reminding them of the promise, and they have the temple and the Holy of Holies for the Day of Atonement. And that's about it. That's what they have to remind them that God loves them. God's love is shown in the promises and the presence in the temple once per year in a sacrifice. And it's into this culture, y'all. It's into this culture that Jesus is called Emmanuel. God with us. That's where your head explodes. It should We're no longer having to cling to a promise that was made to our great, 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 great granddad. We're no longer having to depend on a a high priest to go into God's presence for us. The presence of God is walking down the street in the marketplace. Let that sink in. The presence of God is here. Love, Love was shown in His promise and His presence. But in Jesus... Love is no longer just words of a promise nor place of a presence. It's a person. And that's shouting worthy. Number three, love is shown 
in a person. Jesus was a walking, talking, living example of God's love. Though the, the temple, there's a temple in Jerusalem in the first century. And, but listen, there's not, been a, there's not been a true prophet of the Lord raise up in 400 years since Malachi. There's not been a word from the Lord that was, that was heavy like to Malachi. And then, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, listen to that. The Word calls Jesus the Word because He was the promise, He was a fulfillment of the Word of God, the promise of God. The Word of the Lord has been synonymous with the words of the prophets and, and these promises to Abraham, the Word. But here it is used to describe the person of Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of the promise of God. And then it says, He became flesh and dwelt among us. Nerd moment for a second. The word dwelt in the Greek is the word tabernacled. Isn't that good? He tabernacled among us. They just made it a verb. That's what they did. He tabernacled among us. He templed among us. No longer is there need for the temple for that because Christ, God himself, it's no longer on the mercy seat. It's now in us. In our presence, we no longer go into his presence. He's coming to ours. This is not accidental language. The word of God and him tabernacling among us is a fulfillment that Jesus is the embodiment of the promises and embodiment of the presence. So what had been experienced in part by one man one time a year was now being experienced in ways they couldn't have imagined. Think about it. With the tabernacle and the temple, one man, one time a year, goes into the presence of God, does his thing, comes back out. No one else allowed in. And now the presence of God is not hidden behind a curtain, but he's walking along the paths, making visits to your house. That's significant. And we miss it because we're focused on season 9, episode 22 and 23. We forget the story arc that's been leading to this point. It was only the high priest that was allowed to go in and into the presence of God. And we know that that's, that's the only person Jesus talked to while he was on earth, right? It's the first place Jesus, Jesus said, I need to go to, I'm going to spend all my time with that high priest. No. It's not where he spent his time. He spent his time with people like me and you. He didn't go to the spiritual elite, and when he did, it was usually with a forked tongue. <laughs> little bite in his words. But what he does here, Jesus turns the whole thing upside down by spending time with people who are considered unworthy, unloved, or even unclean. People that would no, be allowed nowhere near the curtain of the temple. When we think of God sending Jesus, we who are believers, and if you're a Christian in the room, you automatically, the thing that we point to of God's love is the cross. We do every time. If I were to ask you, if I could have gone back and asked you, that's what you would say. How do you know God loves you? Because of the cross. But what I'm asking you to do is this Christmas dwell on the love that was shown in the incarnation itself. The incarnation is just a fancy word for God becoming a man. Like dwell on that. 
Do you see the personal loving way in which God was bringing about the ultimate act of love? Do you see the intimacy? You're supposed to. You're supposed to. You're supposed to be blown away by the fact that God would leave the throne of heaven and come and dwell among us. We always think of God's love shown in the death of cross, and it's most certainly the case, but God also showed his love just by sending Jesus. He could have sent Jesus as a 30-year-old man, and he immediately died for our sins and resurrected. That's not what he chose to do. Jesus lived a life among us, showing us what real love looks like. Just a, a definition of real love, I think, evidence through Christ. Real love is getting among people who do not feel loved and cared for and forming real relationships. Like if you were to ask me, what did Christ, how did Christ show his love? Whatever, we come up with a hundred different answers. But the, 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 the bulk of Jesus' ministry was getting among people who don't feel loved or cared for and forming real relationships. Now, another, one more nerd moment. We're done. If you've, uh, if you've heard love preached about, you've heard the word agape. Agape is a Greek word um, that means love. In some study, study this week, I found out it was used by Plato before it was used by the New Testament authors. If you know Plato, you probably remember maybe from high school or college. I didn't take any philosophy in college, but maybe you did. Plato used the word agape right in almost an identical way to the way he used the word phileo, which is another Greek word, which means brotherly love, where we get the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? He used those words almost interchangeably. He used agape, uh, and other ancient authors did, this, authors did the same, to describe familial love and even an affection for activities in our life. Listen, it is the followers of Jesus who gave us the definition of the word agape. When they sat with, the, they sat with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, it is them who, who truly, and if you look at the definition of agape, it will be, ir, it'll be, uh, it'll be unable to be separated from the way the New Testament authors used it because they're the ones that gave us the idea of an unconditional love that is evidenced through action on behalf of another. That is is what agape love is. The followers of Jesus believed agape love was perfectly evidenced through the way Jesus lived his life and through his death on the cross. And this is the love that we celebrate at Christmas. Yes, Christmas is fun for your family and it's fun for your kids and it's fun for everybody. But a true love that we celebrate at Christmas is not the kind of love that you and I even have an idea of what it looks like. Because it's a love that God loved us with. So my question is this, first question, like, are we settling for showing a different kind of love than what Christ wants us to? If the love that Christ showed was getting among people who feel unloved and uncared for and forming real relationships, if that's the way that Christ showed true love, are, you, are we doing that? I'll say as a church, first off. Like, is that evidenced by how we interact with our community? That's a hard question. Something I'm wrestling with for 2021. 
What does it look like for us to be a church that loves like Jesus? We're not going to the other churches and hobnobbing with the high priest. We're getting among people who need Jesus. They need love. And for us to settle for something else is to settle for for less than what God has for us. Now, you personally, like is, is, there, is there evidence in your life that you're, you're loving the unloved, you're caring for the uncared for? This is what Christ has shown us. Not through his death, yes, through his death, but mainly through the way that he lived his life. Patrick and Corey are going to come up. They got a beautiful song. You probably never heard it unless you saw me post it on YouTube or on our Facebook page this week or last night at 11.30 whenever I posted it. It just hit me this week. Uh, such a beautiful song. They're going to play. We're going to do, we're going to do our, this last song a little bit different. So if you're a home folk, don't freak out. I'm um, just going to do a little bit different. Um, but I want to ask some questions as they're prepping. So y'all look at me, not them. Have you experienced the real love of Christ? Like, have you experienced it? Because it changed me. Really did. The way that I live my life is not how I want to live it. I live my life this way because Christ changed me. So many of you, your lives have been changed by Christ. Because you were unloved and uncared for, and He got in your business. You may, not, you may be like Abraham. You didn't even know who God was, but he showed up. And he said, follow me. And you have. And I love hearing those stories. But some of you may not have. Good night. It's the best thing you'll ever experience in your life. The love Christ has for you is so much more than I can describe in a sermon. It's got to be experienced. If you've never trusted, if you have no relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, we're going to have decision counselors here in just a moment. They're not even going to move yet, but they're going to be at the back door during this last song. You can go back there. Just talk with them. They'll pull you out in a little side room, have a conversation with you. I'll be up front as well to answer those questions. I don't want to just give you a formula to go through to trust in Jesus today. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to help you see the love that Christ has for you so you can respond in faith to that. My next question is for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. And the question is, do we love like Christ did? Or is our love some cheap garbage replacement? As I said last week, if the only joy you show is when you're in your home and when you're outside your home, you don't show joy, I'll I'll re-up. If the only love you show is to those in your home, you're missing it. This is not, we're supposed to be a blessing to our neighbors and the nations. Anything less than that is disobedience. More on that in the next few weeks. I'm so thankful that God saved me and I'm challenged by this message and I want to challenge you with it. If you're not, if the love, if if your home is the sole place of your love pray a prayer of repentance during this song to turn from that and begin to show love to those around you because as I said last week it's Christmas time 
Everybody's talking about it. They can call it Happy Holidays if they want, but they know it's Christmas. Everybody is thinking about Christmas. What better way to have conversations about Christ in our lives? I'm going to say a word of prayer. And Patrick and Corey are actually going to begin to sing this song. Here's what I want us to do. It's just a little bit different. I just want you to keep your seat. Because you probably don't know this song anyway. So I don't want you to stand and stare. I want you to sit. You want to bow your heads. You want to look at the words on the screen. That's cool. Even sing along if you want. But I want us to just settle in for just a moment as a church for a couple verses and a couple choruses. And dwell in the words of this song and the words of the message that God's laid before us. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after I pray, you can bow your heads and just keep your seat where you are. And then I'll give you some more direction here. Father, we thank you that, God, you didn't just snap your fingers and redeem us. God, that would have been awesome. The end result would have been the same, redemption. God, you had a plan, a story arc that you've been working from the beginning of time. And God, that story arc makes the end so much sweeter. So, Father, I pray that this Christmas, that, God, we don't just live in the 21st century and take everything else for granted, but, God, that we would take our, our minds and the minds of our, our families into the story of Scripture and realize the heaviness that it was like to not have a Savior. And then explode in joy by the fact that we do have one pray that you be with this time, God, as we reflect in our own hearts about this Christmas, what it means to us. God, I pray that you just bless us during this time. God, speak to us and help us to move forward with the next steps to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray.